Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Harlow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. You're on the record. Inside the business, law, marketing, deal-making of all of the sports we love. And as we usually start our segments with the opening drive, the four top weekly stories of the week. Here we go. Number one, a new era in college sports, the Dartmouth basketball players' unionization effort. The National Labor Relations Board, Dartmouth College men's basketball players, had a ruling saying that they're employees of the institution, granting them a right to form a union. The historic ruling, first of its kind within the NCAA, paves the way for athletes to collectively bargain for wages, practice conditions, and travel arrangements, challenging the long-standing amateurism model of college sports. The ruling emerged from efforts by Dartmouth players who, despite not receiving athletic scholarships, dedicate significant time to their sport, mirroring the commitment seen in professional leagues. The movement challenges the NCAA's traditional view of athletes as, as student-athletes, and the movement clearly tests the boundaries of the organization's amateurism model, scrutinized due to billions of dollars generated by college sports, NIL, etc., etc., The development comes amid growing calls for reform in college athletics, including the right to profit from NIL, could lead to a reevaluation of the relationship between student-athletes and their institutions. Dartmouth and potentially other schools navigate this new terrain. The outcome of this unionization effort may herald a new era in college sports where the rights and contributions of athletes are more fully acknowledged and compensated even, by the way, even beyond the expansion of NIL over the last couple of years. That's number one. Number two, the NBA heading into the All-Star Weekend announces the beneficiaries of the winners of that game. The Western Conference All-Stars play for the Boys and Girls Club of Indianapolis and the Eastern Conference will play for Special Olympics as well. The bottom line is the 100000 and an additional 240000 be awarded to the charity of the winning team. Though the NBA CARES State Farm Assist Tracker program is the overall portal, 1900 donated for each on-court assist during the All-Star game, with those funds split evenly between the charities. How about this? You rely on the NBA players to assist each other for charities? like to think not happening, but maybe we'll be better. With more than the 6 million athletes and United Sports Partners, 1 million coaches and volunteers in over 200 accredited programs, Special Olympics delivers more than 30 Olympic-type sports and over 100,000 games and competitions every year around the world. Boys and Girls Clubs of Indy is to create a nurturing environment for young people to thrive, serving over 6,000 across 10 sites in Indiana. The Indy chapter inspires and enables all youth, particularly those in need, to reach their fullest potential as responsible and caring citizens. That's interesting stuff, but the bottom line is maybe, 
the pros will have something significant to play for. We'll have to see. That's number two. Number three, MLB, their strategic move toward national streaming and ending local blackouts. The Athletic notes that the blackout restrictions are being targeted for reduction, and the goal is that Rob Manfred and others are trying to get this all done to see how it all shakes out. And I guess we'll have to see Apple, Peacock, Amazon, and their own streaming service will be a big deal. Guardians, Rangers, and Twins TV contracts expiring by 2025 and digital rights for teams like the Angels, Braves, Cardinals, and Reds, not including with their agreements with Diamond, MLB sees an opportunity. And obviously, as we all understand, it's all about negotiation, all about the dollar. Stay tuned. They're all trying to maximize exposure and maximize eyeballs. Rob Manfred is making this clearly a top priority. Have to see how it all works out. That's number three. And then finally for the week, number four, the NFL. Well, we have a lot of Super Bowl stuff, obviously, but they eye private equity investment, a strategic shift in ownership and in capital. The development is marking a significant shift in the NFL's longstanding resistance to private equity funds, contrasting more open policies of other major sports leagues. Clark Hunt, the chief CEO and chair, he also chairs the NFL's finance committee, and he highlighted the league's cautious observation of private equity roles like other sports. And the NFL's consideration of private equity investments reflects a broader trend across sports, where specialized firms have increasingly sought passive stakes in franchises. Six to eight teams potentially exploring minority sales stakes within the year. There's a clear understanding that these transactions need to have some kind of a regularity and the strategic pivot aims to bolster the league's financial robustness and provide minority partners with viable exit strategies important in the investment world. And as the NFL contemplates this idea, the overall attractiveness and liquidity of NFL team ownership needs to be maximized. The league's financial health, ownership stability, and competitive balance incredibly important. By aligning with the practices of other major leagues, the NFL poised to open new avenues of capital infusion and ownership diversification, ensuring its continued dominance and vitality in the competitive world of professional sports. There you have it, opening drive stories of the week. We're dealing with the FIFA World Cup selection process that's just occurred for the World Cup in a couple of years and Super Bowl, which also just occurred. Ray Martinez, currently the Chief Operating Officer of 2026 FIFA World Cup Miami Host Committee, Chief of Security for Ultra Music Festival, V2 Global Specializing in Public Policy, but also he was the President and Executive Director of the 2020 Miami Super Bowl Host Committee, as well as a number of consulting gigs all over South Florida, security background as a policeman, Miami and Miami Beach, certainly well qualified to handle the matches for FIFA and handle Super Bowl. The one thing we have in common, tremendous intersection with the Super Bowl finishing and FIFA choosing its 11 venues in the U.S. and the venues in Canada for the World Cup in a couple of years, 
Nobody better qualified to talk about the economic impact, the situation for the 104 matches across North America, what the security is going to be, the 48 teams, meaning the biggest World Cup ever, and on and on. He'll talk about stadiums, he'll talk about COVID, he'll talk about fan and crowd management. A lot of stuff from Ray Martinez. Here he is now. Talk a little bit about, you know, growing up in uh, 35 years of your law enforcement experience in the city of Miami and Miami Beach, uniform patrol, operations, training, traffic enforcement, criminal investigations, administration, all of that. And, you know, how the world of sports, especially special events, community development, securing facilities, how did that all intersect? Well, you know, I, I had a, a long you know, great career, you know, with the police department here starting in 1979 with the city of Miami Police Department as a, you know, young rookie officer uh, straight out of the police academy. Uh, I got to the police department uh, actually through the Marine Corps straight out of high school. I joined the Marine Corps, spent three years on active duty and um, uh, was fortunate enough to when I was uh, discharged uh, to get hired by the Miami Police Department, uh, as I said, in 1979. So. You know, starting out on the street, you know, patrol, midnights, you know, uh, working weekends, uh, you know, as the rookie out there and, uh, you know, got to see a lot of different things that took place in Miami, you know, during those years. You know, if you remember, uh, we had some race riots in 1980, uh, McDuffie uh, Marielle Boatlift, um, Marielle from Cuba, which brought 120,000, you know, refugees into South Florida. But unfortunately, as part of that, you know, Castro at the time had opened up his prisons and uh, basically the mental institutions and forced the people that were going over there to get their families to take some of those uh, characters with them. So, you know, uh, although there was a vast majority of very good, great people that came, you know, to the United States at that time, there was a lot of, uh, there was also a segment of criminals and mentally unstable people, so, which kind of changed the, the dynamic here in South Florida. Well, listen, uh, Miami, as we all know, is the quintessential melting pot. And you are at the, and were, and certainly are now at the epicenter of the melting pot. Uh, broadly defined, a little off tangent, you know, sports, we always say, is the great unifier. Uh, growing up in Miami, we all remember the uh, undefeated Dolphins, and we all assumed that would happen every year. They didn't read the memo. But if you remember, uh, you know, the Freedom Tower being lit in Dolphin colors uh, as a uh, community embraces new citizens, and, you know, why not Don Shula and the Dolphins? Uh, sports, uh, from my perspective, has always been a, a unifier. You know, what is your perspective on that uh, with your many roles and experience? Yeah, no question. I think sports is really... Uh you know, a big unifier, as you said, you know, bringing people from all different walks of life, different backgrounds and, uh, you know, bringing them together in the, the spirit of competition and rivalries and, you know, whether it's professional sports or college sports or amateur sports, you know, I mean, it's really something that I grew up with. You know, I, I just have always enjoyed, uh, you know, watching and participating in sports. You know, when I became a, a police officer, you know, in, in Miami, obviously a lot of events, uh, you know, were held in Miami. So from a police perspective, I got involved in, you know, working those events, organizing those events, 
you know, again, from a law enforcement perspective, uh, having worked uh, Super Bowls, having worked, um, you know, major parades when when the University of Miami won the national championships, you know, they'd have a, a huge parade in downtown Miami. So all of those types of things just really bring the community together because obviously everybody loves a winner, you know, and, and uh, you know, the hometown is, is always a favorite. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's no doubt about it that I think uh, sports is, is a great unifier. Well, and also from your perspective, uh, the security angle anyway, the police angle uh, presents a lot of challenges. I, I don't know too many public officials who came up through the police ranks in two of the largest cities in their respective region and then turned out uh, to you know, run the Super Bowl host committee and now the World Cup host committee, uh, two of the three, I guess you consider the uh, Grand Prix, the other uh, largest events from a sports perspective in the in the region uh what general common challenges uh are the biggest challenges when you host or put on a major event like this from the let, let's start with the security perspective i mean it all comes down to planning you know i mean it, it, it's you know here we are two and a half years out from uh, the world cup uh you know taking place uh, and we're well into our planning stage so it's you know, really sitting down with your partners, you know, in law enforcement and, you know, fire departments, emergency management, you know, both at the local level, the county level, the state level, and even the federal level, you know, bringing everybody together for a common goal, right? And that's that common goal is to make sure that the people are safe and secure and, you know, that they can get to the, uh, to the game or to the matches very easily, very, you know, seamless in transportation. You know, but all of those things have to be evaluated. Uh, you have to do risk assessments. Uh, you know, you have to have plans in place and backups to the plans and all of that stuff. And really kind of think about everything that could go wrong and how not only how do you mitigate those things, but how do you react to it? You know, so everybody's got to be on the same page. So there, there is a lot of planning, a lot of meetings, as you can imagine. But, uh, you know, I think for us here in South Florida, because we have hosted a number of large events, you talk about Super Bowls, obviously Formula One is here, we have the tennis tournaments here, you know, we have all the professional sports here, you know, the the public safety community is, is used to working together towards those ends. So, you know, that's a good thing for us. Yeah, and, and also uh, the, let's call it middle America, let's compare it to maybe uh, uh, Minnesota when they had a Super Bowl up there, uh, and not many, they have mega events, but nowhere on the scale that we do. Uh, is it is it easier because you do have all of the multidisciplinary organizations working together uh, in a uh, Miami environment, or is it harder because it's an international gateway? You got so many pe different people with passports coming in from different locations, it, and it may be harder to manage. What, what what what's the balance there? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I think it is easier because we are used to working together. You know, and we do that routinely. Uh, so there's no egos, there's no, you know, turf wars or anything like that. Everybody kind of comes together and, you know, works through that common goal. But then the fact that we are, you know, a gateway to the Americas and an international community uh, where people from all over the world, uh, you know, are here all the time, it does present additional challenges, you know, and that's when, you know, our partners, especially at the federal level, you know, really come in or have a valuable piece to to that, you know, providing intelligence and providing information 
you know, um, on different things that we need to be aware of and, and be on the lookout for. Well, the FIFA and the U.S. and Canada, Mexico, the, I guess, 15 cities, uh, that's uh, going to be not narrowed down, but the events will be allocated by the time this is, is, is shown. The bottom line of all of it is, though, that it requires immense coordination with a new event you had it in 94 where it was uh, a little bit different. Now you've got, uh, you know, 48 teams, 104 matches. It's the biggest World Cup ever. And then you got the, you know, women's uh, overlay after that. Uh, are we up to the challenge? Yeah. No, no doubt. You know, and they, they uh, give the analogy that, uh, you know, the six cities and certainly the 11 cities in the United States, it's like 11 Super Bowls happening at the same time. So, uh, you know, obviously it's a big challenge. It's going to stress a lot of uh, resources, you know, not only locally, but, you know, uh, at the state level and at the, the federal level. But again, you know, we're, we're two and a half years out and we're well into our planning. So, you know, with good planning, obviously you can address those, those uh, issues and those concerns and, you know, put, put uh, plans and policies in place, you know, to try to mitigate all of that and manage it the best you can. You know, and, uh, you know, but I, I think there's no doubt that we're, we're ready for it. And, uh, you know, we're again, we're very fortunate here because we have very professional law enforcement, public safety uh, departments here that are, you know, that do this. I don't want to say every day, but do it routinely, you know, as part of their job. One of the things that the World Cup uh, and the Super Bowl processes have in common is that you wouldn't be able to advance a bid if it wasn't for the entrepreneurial spirit of the owner or influential or anchor tenant uh, that owns the uh, the stadium or at least manages and drives the stadium, you know, Steve Ross and Tom Garfinkel uh, in Miami, but it's also all of the ownership groups uh, across the United States and, and in some respects, Canada, Mexico. Uh, the, the, the whole idea of making the stadium available, it's not new. It's been, you know, you tried and tested with Super Bowls here and we'll have more. Uh, are there any unique challenges relative to the World Cup stadium process that does do not exist with Super Bowl processes? Um, you know, just that there's multiple events. You know, I think uh, on the scale, you know, the event itself or the matches themselves are very similar. Um, you know, the crowds may be more uh, passionate, if you will, because uh, they're cheering for their countries, you know. Um, but uh, it's just that it's it's multiple events where with the Super Bowl, it's it's one game and then it's over. So here we could be anywhere from four to six to eight matches that we're going to host over a 40 day period. Uh, you know, so that uh, creates some stresses and obviously some resource, um, you know, concerns and, and issues that have to be addressed. But, you know, I, th I think for the most part, you know, at least in the United States, all 11 cities are NFL stadiums. So they're already at, you know, that top level of, you know, knowledge and procedure and processes that they go through, you know, for uh, NFL games, NFL playoff games, uh, you know, Super Bowls and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's very similar in a, in a way, but the differences are, you know, the length of time, the number of matches combined, you know, compressed into that 40-day period. And, and all 11 uh, uh, stadiums from, you know, Seattle down to Santa Clara and SoFi everywhere require the league uh, team owners to be 
vibrant partners, you know, very important uh, in this in this process. Uh, and I assume there are also advantages long term kind of leave behind, whether it's transportation or enhanced security, things that a particular stadium may be able to get as part of the bid process that they may not have otherwise gotten with 10 home football games a year that they may be able to take uh, transportation, uh, you know, up and down uh, 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 a certain avenue corridor we've talked about before or or uh, uh, or some other opportunities. I assume those are things that are very important in the minds of uh, of planners as well. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you're right. You know, I mean, we could not do this without the, you know, the, the support and obviously with uh, Stephen Ross and Tom Garfinkel, you know, just in, in just incredible partners that we have here in South Florida, you know, and we're fortunate to have them here. And, um, you know, I think for the, from the stadium's perspective, yes, you know, uh, whether it's the NFL or, you know, FIFA coming in and they have all of their requirements and whether it's from, you know, technology, cybersecurity, physical security, all of these things, it, it gives the stadium, you know, obviously a chance to look at and evaluate what they're doing. And, uh, you know, as you said, maybe be able to do some things that they probably or maybe couldn't have done before. Uh, but because of the, the matches and the games being here, you know, they're able to implement some things uh, maybe on a, a little quicker scale or a little quicker, quicker uh, schedule than they, they were anticipating before. But certainly we couldn't do it without, you know, uh, the, the support of, of the stadium and, and the ownership uh, team here. So. Let's talk about a rotation for a second. Uh, the beauty of this idea down in South Florida, because of the way the stadium has evolved also, that the uh, events go from world-class, uh, billion-dollar impact, uh, FIFA-generated international uh, events, uh, then maybe another Super Bowl in the rotation. you got national championships. you got the college football playoffs. Uh, you've got the tennis tournament. Obviously, you got the Grand Prix. So all of that uh, sensitizes South Florida, I hope, to the understanding that sports, tourism, and travel is huge business that helps everybody. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Miami is changing and we're becoming more of a financial uh, community, more of a uh, technology uh, I know they're trying to bring, but we're still a hospitality-driven industry. You know, it's, it's the weather, it's the beaches, it's the events here that, you know, bring people to South Florida. And, you know, it's major events like you just mentioned, from Super Bowls to World Cup to, you know, tennis to Formula One that, you know, people want to come and they come from all over the world. And so, you know, in, in addition to that, you know, you have Art Basel and you have music events like Ultra Music Festival you know, that uh, bring people in, again, from all over the world for those types of events. So, you know, it's important to our economy. You know, it helps drive everything from hotels to the airports to the seaports to restaurants to rental cars. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Talk just a couple more minutes about the stadium of the future. You know, I've been around Premier League old stadiums where you have the moats separating the fans from the players and the players from the fans, and then you separate all the one team's fans from the others. You know, we, we don't have that in the United States, but we sure look at best practices uh, around the world and apply it here. You know, what what's the next big concern stadium-wise from a security uh, perspective that uh, people in your world worry about? 
Well, I mean, obviously, with everything that's going on in the world right now, you know, you worry about, uh, you know, bad actors, uh, terrorism, you know, and it, it could be just a single individual, you know, with uh, bad intentions, if you will. You know, so those things uh, keep us up at night, you know, and lose a little sleep over. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think it's it's really the partnerships and, and the working together uh, that help us, you know, uh, address those things and make sure we have, you know, the resources that we need, the plans in place, you know, execute our plans and, uh, you know, be ready, you know, God forbid that something like that uh, tries to present itself. Um, you know, there, it, it, it's a multi-level thing because it's not just a preparedness, it's also information, you know, and, and believe it or not, the public is great at providing information, you know, and it, it sounds a little corny sometimes because I say it when I speak to groups, you know, if you see something, say something, but you'd be surprised how many times that's, that's uh, you know, stop some, uh, you know, some act from occurring and, you know, saving injuries and, and deaths, you know, possibly from occurring. and We've had them, you know, at, at all different types of events, whether sporting events or, like I said, our Basel music events, those types of things. So, you know, it's it's every level, you know, from the local level up to the feds, but it's also the public being aware, you know, being conscious and being being able to easily report something if they see it. Uh, did COVID look? COVID was awful for a lot of different reasons, but was there a, a side benefit in the sense that it that it put the kind of stadium processes of people in them on pause and let the stadium professionals and designers come up with some new safety mechanisms, new ways to make facilities better, safer, cleaner, uh, and enhancing the fan experience. Uh, you know, there, there is a, a train of thought that, that, that says some of that uh, works. So what's your, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think so. You know, I, I, I don't work for Hard Rock Stadium, so I'm not, you know, except when we do events there, you know, the Super Bowl or, or World Cup, I'm not involved in their day-to-day. But I know with other entities, you know, I, I do work for a music festival down here. It, it did give us a pause to kind of reevaluate what we do, look at how we do it, and really re-engineer a little bit, if you will, uh, of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, you know, so I think... You know, as bad as COVID was for the industry, you know, especially the entertainment sports industry, you know, um, and, and really every industry. But, uh, you know, I, I think it did give the opportunity for everybody to kind of take a breath and be able to look at what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, uh, you know, because a lot of times, you know, when, when we're going like we are right now, you don't have the time to kind of step back and take a look at it. You know, you're, you're just dealing with, you know, OK, we got this event coming up. We got this event coming up. We, you know, you're, you're always moving forward and you're going at 90 miles an hour. You don't have a chance to catch your breath. We talked to Ray Martinez about stadiums, uh, but there's so much more, obviously. Crowd movement, terrorism, security, what do facilities look like years from now, how far we've come because of COVID, etc. Certainly, when you think about it, he is obviously very well equipped being a uh, Miami and Miami Beach law enforcement person, uniform patrol, operations, training, traffic enforcement, criminal investigation, police administration, budget, labor relations, mixing sports, politics, safety, security, obviously what Ray uh, Martinez brings to the table, wishing South Florida luck in their 2026 FIFA dealings as well as future Super Bowls. He certainly can handle it both. Gaming. 
Nearly 44 million U.S. adults placed bets and wagered online for the Super Bowl at a legal sports book or through an illegal bookie, 41% up from last year. A morning consult survey commissioned by the American Gaming Association found 2,200 survey adults conducted from January 30 to February 1 found that 28.7 million of those intended to wager through a legal online subbook, uh, a sports book. But the AGA projected the record 67.8 million will wager 23.1 billion on the Super Bowl in one fashion or another, including through casual bets with friends and in pools. Report released by gambling research and consulting firm Ellers and Krejcik predicted that about 1.25 billion wagered legally on the game through U.S. sports books, and the firm projected Nevada to account for 160 million in handle. More than that, even the overtime prop bets carry the day. That, by far and away, is the top gambling minute of this show, and I suspect probably any other show. As you look at what's happening down the road, incredible Super Bowl, incredible watching, incredible numbers, and incredible gaming. How about tech issues? There are a few. So, next gen stats by the NFL is the tech one issue for the week. The broadcasts evolve, they work their way into the evolving landscape. The NFL next gen stats and in display clearly the Super Bowl. Prime Vision works directly with NFL NetGen Stat Research Team to incorporate statistics, predictive analysis, visualizations, and additional content into what viewers see on their screens. Traditional game broadcasts have also incorporated NextGen Stats Research Team that works with Prime Vision. Also speaks with CBS analyst Tony Romo weekly, and we'll meet him in person this week, and the Super Bowl as well. Bottom line is, this is not just a marketing gimmick, but this is pure, unmitigated information, helping folks conceptualize complicated data science and machine learning and saying, ton of data, how do you make sense out of it? That's what this is all about, and it only gets better and better and better. Tech issue number one. Number number two, Amazon exclusively streaming a 2025 playoff game, probably. You heard it here first. After the Chiefs-Dolphins game was streamed exclusively on Peacock earlier this year, Amazon will now have its own exclusively streamed playoff game on its own platform in 2025, according to the Wall Street Journal. Chiefs-Dolphins game drew criticism for the decision, but high viewership to the tune of 23 million, making it the most streamed U.S. event ever. Amazon offered the chance to stream a game for this season's playoff, but passed, cleared the way for NBC and Peacock to get the opportunity. Now offered another chance, the company seized it. The NFL's been aggressive about streaming and has spread its rights throughout multiple platforms instead of keeping its assets on just traditional networks. The announcement is the latest streaming-related sports decision this week, as Disney, Fox, Warner Brothers announced the joint streaming deal. That combined platform, by the way, accounts for 55% of U.S. sports rights. What a shock and what a decision, especially coming when it did during Super Bowl week. And that's tech issue number two. Tech issue number three, CBS, Nickelodeon, and other platforms in the Paramount world 
delivered SpongeBob-themed broadcast for the first Super Bowl all cast, especially with the kids. The winning Chiefs and the bottom line SpongeBob SquarePants heroes were broadcast special. Well, Nickamus were doing this during the wildcard broadcast right after that. Broncos Rams, 906,000 for that. Broncos Rams games before that. So when you dip into last year and the year before, you see that Nickelodeon, as well as the CBS platform and parent, decided to do this great for the league, great for the network, great for the kids, great for growth as well. It's an interesting concept that only gets bigger. Tech issue number four, sports VR tech firm Status Pro raised about $20 bucks in Series A funding, led by Google Ventures, a virtual reality and gaming specialist firm, raised $20 million in Series A funding, led by Google. The sports tech uh, involvement, one of the largest for any VR company, and also saw the involvement of an Indian sports tech giant Dream Sports, Minnesota Vikings owners Mark and Ziggy Wilf's Wise Ventures, JDS Sports, and alumni ventures and existing investors, including NBA uh, icon LeBron James and his business partner Mav Carter, musician Drake, Haslam Sports Group, also participated. Founded in uh, 2020 by former American football players Andrew Hawkins and Troy Jones, Status Pro said the involvement of such a blue chip investor from the technology space cements its position as one of the leading players in the emerging field of extended reality experiences. The company plans to use the additional cash to further build out its technology and launch new sports team games, building on the success of the officially licensed National Football League Pro Era. And they continue to raise dollars with other investors, including KB Partners, Titletown Tech, Graycroft, Verizon Ventures, 49ers Enterprises, as well as tennis star Naomi Osaka. All of the teams are individually investing now, not just the league. An important differentiation as we move forward. And then finally, tech issue number five. Pitch partners with TrackMan ahead of international expansion. Pitch announced a strategic partnership with swing and shot analysis technology platform, TrackMan, very well known in the golf space. The collaboration leverages TrackMan's cutting-edge golf technology, known for its accuracy, data-driven insights, and broad experience available. The first part of this partnership sees TrackMan units deployed across future pitch destinations, current and future. Over the past 20 years, TrackMan is in collaboration with the best golfers, teachers, and equipment manufacturers, developed solutions that provide the most accurate real-time data, and now they continue to grow in terms of real estate. Pitch just announced its expansion into Ireland with the opening of its first international site, signing a long-term lease in Dublin's premier destination, Grafton Place, opening in the second quarter of next year. The Dublin site, testament to the strength of the concept and the golf industry joint ventures with Pitch and TrackMan, allowing real estate, 
merging with high-quality technology all across the board. That seems to be one of the biggest things they've got going. Those are the tech issues. And then finally, especially after the Super Bowl, a big deal with good sports, the philanthropic issues of the week. Well, the first one everybody's got to acknowledge from the Honors NFL Thursday celebration, Steelers defensive tackle Cameron Hayward named the 2023 Walter Payton Man of the Year. We know that, but across 13 seasons, Steelers defensive lineman Cameron Hayward's work within the community and his charitable endeavors have been recognized as much as his on-field excellence. He won the award, a six-time Pro Bowl selection and a three-time All-Pro, He was clearly overwhelmed by his issue. Ironhead Hayward, his dad, who died of brain cancer at age of 39 when Cam was just 17. Hayward's father wore 32, just as Walter Payton did. Every time I talk about my dad, he wore 34. He's been with me the entire time, he said. But I know there was another 34 that was helping me, this man, Walter Payton. He's done so much on and off the field. He's changed so many lives that now I, he says, have the opportunity to be part of a great fraternity in the Walter Payton finalists and winners. The 34-year-old Hayward is the fifth Steeler to have been voted Man of the Year, joining, get this, Franco Harris in 76, Joe Green in 79, Lynn Swan in 81, and the bus, traditionally the Walter Payton Man of the Year, presented at the final awards at NFL Honors. It's recognized as the league's highest honor, merging community service as well as high visibility. Hayward was seen at Hayward House, started in 2015. The foundation focuses on combating childhood hunger, supporting students and teachers, aiding childhood literacy, and fighting cancer. It goes on and on and on. And clearly, this is a person who is well worth the accolades that have been sent his way. Good sport number two, Caitlin Clark in Iowa drawing sold-out crowds, big ratings, and inspiring the next generation. Nobody's ever seen a player of a combination like Pete Maravich and, and Steph Curry, say, people all over the world. Schools that have hosted Iowa have seen an increased attendance of, get this, over 150% compared to their other average home games. And according to Ticket Marketplace Vivid Seats, that five most in-demand NCAA women's games this year have all featured Iowa. Average price of tickets for the Hawkeyes since Clark joined the team in 2020, up 224%. And the average distance traveled by a fan to watch Iowa play, up 34% from last season. Obviously, she's uh, destined for the WNBA and See what happens, because she's probably going to make less money at the WNBA because of the nil dollars that are around her and will continue to be around her. The overtime loss to Ohio State on NBC by Iowa averaged nearly 2 million viewers across the network and Peacock, and obviously she lets her shooting do the talking, but there are philanthropic benefits galore as well. Number three. Toro hits the 10-year landmark for sustainable golf. The company's sustainability efforts are off the charts. The 
uh, certification and impact program being utilized over 70 countries involving associations, facilities, new developments, sustainable golf database, etc. And the bottom line is they continue to generate support, not only for building courses, but sustaining them and maintaining them. And then finally, the Chiefs and the uh, Niners giving dollars back from the big name, the Super Bowl of Caring, involving people to tackle hunger in their local communities. The Niners Foundation has given $50 million back to historically underserved communities as well. And also STEAM education nationally recognized for youth football programs as well. In that context with Super Bowl 58, it's not so much whether you win or lose, but it's how much money you generate for charity. And in that context, the Chiefs and the Niners are clearly winners. That's your grab bag for the week. The three to watch, our concluding segment, top three stories for this week and beyond. Number one, NFL going to uh, Madrid 2025 with the support of Real Madrid. It was revealed during the Super Bowl. Likely select an AFC team as the host, taking advantage of the scheduling flexibility afforded by the conference's additional home game in the 2025 season. Approach not only simplifies the logistical challenges of playing abroad, but also promises that fans in Spain will enjoy a compelling game with one of the league's top teams. (laughs) Seem to be more of them in the AFC. The bottom line is Asia, Australia, Brazil, and the NFL clearly has taken significant steps regarding all of the international games. And look for that in the future. That's number one. Number two, the Super Bowl adds 12 first-timers. The loaded making their Super Bowl debut, new entrance lint, nerds, drumstick, join a loaded candy and stack food category, M&M's, Doritos, Reese's, Pringles, and Oreo, bet MGM, Uh, First time, take advantage of the increased ubiquity of sports betting. Sarah V, Etsy, Kawasaki, a lot of other companies with debuts. We won't know what the issue is quickly because we don't see how it moves the needle immediately. But that is one to watch. Who gets people promoted and which ads get people fired? (laughs) We'll have to see. Finally, number three, the NBA in-season tournament lands Emirates. As a title sponsor, starting with the 2025 season, they'll also be involved with the women's NBA, the the G League crossover, the NBA Legacy Project. They clearly will be known as the Emirates NBA Cup, have a very, very significant story to tell down the road, and see how that works, not only in Abu Dhabi, but also how it works with the NBA going forward. Clearly three to watch. Couldn't be any bigger. Well, that's our show for the week. We'd like to thank Ray Martinez for adding some Super Bowl and FIFA help. would like to thank Callie Kazir and, Kazir and, and others who helped us put the show together. Thank you all for listening and watching as we usually do. And join us next week when we continue to go on the record. Sports Professor Ricaro, speak with you soon.